Now, the Three Martini Lunch with Greg Corumbus and Jim Garrity. And come on in. We're glad you're with us on the Three Martini Lunch. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. He's Jim Garrity of National Review, also the author of Between Two Scorpions. Glad to tell you today we're brought to you by Honey. No easier way to save money online, and you can set it up with just a couple of clicks. Get it for free at joinhoney.com slash martini. Jim, excellent news today. Very, very good news today. We have a good martini. Ah, Yeah, for everyone who bet we would not get one the entire week. There you go. So it only took us till Thursday, and we have to set it up with bad news because we're still talking about the NBA and they're they're kowtowing to China. We've talked this week about uh, the blowback to the Houston Rockets general manager, Adam Silver trying to have a foot in both camps, uh, fans getting kicked out of the Philadelphia 1776ers preseason game for for their speech and their signs happened again last night in D.C. when that Chinese team was playing the Wizards. But uh, the, the the bad thing we're going to set up here is a press conference. I think this is in Japan, actually, but a CNN reporter talking with Houston Rockets stars James Harden and Russell Westbrook. Here's the question and the non-answer. Hi, Christina McFarlane, CNN. Um, the NBA has always been a league that prides itself on its player and its coaches being able to speak out openly about political and societal affairs. I just wonder, after the events of this week and the fallout we've seen, whether you would both feel differently about speaking out in that way in future. Um, excuse me, we'll take the basketball questions only. It's a legitimate question. This is an event that's happened this week during during the NBA. This particular question has not been answered. James. Any other questions? Oh, great answer. Very brave from Mm -hmm. them. And I love the fact that that question's been answered is what the NBA rep said there, Jim, because the NBA has answered virtually nothing. The good martini here is that um, the bipartisan members of Capitol Hill, at least a handful of them here, have written a letter to the NBA blasting them for this. And uh, it stretches the gamut from Ted Cruz and Ben Sass all the way to AOC. And uh, the paragraph here that definitely caught my attention was, quote, NBA players have a rich history of speaking out on sensitive topics of social justice and human rights inside the United States, and the NBA takes pride in defending their right to do so. Yet while it is easy to defend freedom of speech when it costs you nothing, equivocating when profits are at stake is a betrayal of fundamental American values. So, uh, Jim, who knows what's going to happen here? It might just be water under the bridge, ultimately, as the the NBA tries to navigate this PR crisis. But uh, what do you make of uh, members of Congress trying to get in the game here? I think this is the sort of thing by having the Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's and the Ted Cruz's of the world coming together, it will get a little bit more attention than usual. And I think this is significant. I, I do think that we have entered um, a turning point. Yeah, these Uyghur concentration camps have been around for many years. Yes, the you know Hong Kong is generally kind of seen as this far off land and most Americans don't pay attention to it. Um, but the issue is not really going away. And to see so many figures who are so outspoken about being woke, about being, you know, the need to be socially conscious, about the need to stand up to injustice, to see all of them towing the party line and to be so adamant, you know, as I keep coming back, we haven't seen a single player come out and say, oh, this stinks. We should not be dealing with this. The fact that not a single, all of a sudden, you know, all the coaches and, and folks who are known for being outspoken, like, ah, oh, this is so complicated. I, there's just no way to understand who's right and who's wrong in, in running the concentration camps. 
you know, who's right, the Hong Kong cops shooting protesters or the protesters who keep jumping in front of their bullets? It's so egregious that, you know, basically the argument of, of in this letter from Cruz and Ocasio-Cortez and the rest, um, Tom Cotton in there, uh, Ron Wyden, the Democrat from Oregon, you know, very broad bipartisan argument is, look, NBA, the, the ultimate charge is that you should not be in business with, with the Chinese government anymore, that this is costing you too much morally, um, and that you basically are, you know, you, at the absolute minimum, you should not run a training camp in the exact same province where they're running all of these concentration camps. I think that's a really powerful message. I think it's the sort of thing that a lot of people have a hard time not joining in as this gains momentum. Uh, is this going to be enough to get the NBA to break off its relationship with China? You know, somebody put it to me very simply that ultimately what drives the NBA more than any other factor are the shoe companies. <laughs> shoe sales are enormous. There are, you know, Nike and uh, Adidas and, and all of the different brands that have, you know, made a lot of money by establishing their brand identity, you know, uh, with the NBA. The NBA, you know, make, gets a chunk of that. They, they believe this is a great way of marketing it. And China is a massive market. And of course, China not only, you know, purchases a lot of the shoes, they make a lot of the shoes and all the product, you know, by 12 year olds. This is going to be a very difficult relationship to unwind. But I think the moral cost of continuing this relationship is getting higher and higher for the NBA. Yeah, they got uh, four different uh, things here they asked the NBA to do. And one of them is to suspend NBA activities in China. And the other is to reevaluate the NBA's training camp in uh, Xinjiang, if that's how you say it, which is where a lot of the re-education camps are. Jim, can we talk about signatures for just a moment here? I'm looking at this letter signed by, let's see, uh, eight different people. Uh, only Ben Sasses is legible. And I'm the last yeah. person who should talk about legible signatures Anybody with a lot of letters in their last name knows you get to about the third letter and you're just like, yeah, whatever. But Ted Cruz's last name looks like an eight. That's not quite complete on the top loop. And I have no idea what is going on with AOC signature here. It just kind of looks like uh, a bunch of circles with lines connected. Where is John Hancock when we need him? I know. They have to they have to sign a lot of things, so you got to make it quick. But uh, just thought I'd point that out. All right, let's move on to our bad martini now. Oh, no, we're not going to have bad martini. we got more good news. Good news. We can save you money over at Honey, because whenever you buy something online and then find out it could have been bought for less, it's, it's really frustrating. It's worse than having the NBA players suddenly not know how to talk. Not to mention, once that happens, you feel like you could be overpaying every time you shop online because you're not aware of the, the best discounts and the coupons that are out there. But now we don't have that problem anymore, Jim, because we have Honey. It's the free browser extension that saves us time and money when shopping online. Honey scans the internet for coupon codes and other discounts, and then, like magic, it automatically applies the one with the biggest savings to your cart at the checkout. It knows about every coupon code, every sale, every discount at more than 20,000 sites like Amazon, Macy's, J. Crew, Domino's, Sephora, Target, and more. Now, you just shop like normal, and Honey will find you the savings, and believe me, it feels amazing. Kind of like your dollar being accepted by a vending machine on the very first try. That kind of amazing. Wow. Yeah, especially if they've got you know things that are actually good in the vending machine. That seems to be harder to get. Now, you got a lot of these vending machines that want to go healthy, which I believe is completely contrary to the point of a vending machine. But that's a, a whole other conundrum. But Honey doesn't have that problem. Honey is fantastic in a number of different ways. It saves you money. It's easy to install. And uh, when you actually get this on your computer, the sites calculate the honey discounts for you. And it just makes you feel good. It makes you feel like you've done your homework, even though honey did all the homework for you. And better than that, 
It has saved Honey's 10 million users over a billion dollars in a very relatively short period of time. So there's really no reason not to use Honey. It's free to use and installs on your computer in just two clicks or two taps, depending on how you're getting online. Get Honey for free at joinhoney.com slash martini. That's joinhoney.com slash martini. All right. Now on to our bad martini. And uh, Jim... Whenever the Trump campaign or the Trump administration tells the media that they're terrible or they shouldn't be covering something in a certain way, there's always a bunch of blowback. And to some extent, that blowback is warranted. Um, When the Biden campaign does it, it doesn't seem to be happening quite as much in terms of the blowback. The uh, Biden campaign, uh, according to Oliver Darcy and CNN's reliable sources, has sent a withering letter in their term to uh, New York Times executive editor Dean Baquette, blasting the newspaper's coverage of Biden and claiming that the paper has had an outsized hand in the spread of a baseless conspiracy theory, namely Hunter Biden in Ukraine, something you've uh, taken a dive into quite extensively. So I'm looking forward to your thoughts on this. But anyway, once again, Kate Bedingfield has uh, entered the fray here. She's the one who told the media, stop booking Rudy Giuliani for interviews. We demand it. And so now they're angry about a New York Times op-ed that was uh, written by Peter Schweitzer. He of Clinton cash fame that uh, shed some more light on the Hunter Biden thing. And they're trying to discount him as a right wing kook. And so basically the New York Times is now at the same level as Breitbart, according to the Biden campaign, in terms of conspiracy mongering. They're also really mad that Ken Vogel devoted some words and ink to this because now he's uh, on the same page as Breitbart and uh, John Solomon, who, of course, they don't like because He's not uh, reporting what they like them to report. So what do you make, first of all, of this particular blow up from the uh, Biden media team and the fact that they keep telling the media how to do stuff? So uh, you're correct. I did this a very lengthy timeline looking at uh, Hunter Biden's uh, employment history, business partners, the, the kind of shady deals, the shadowy characters and then all that. And the short version is that probably nothing Hunter Biden did violated the law. But there were a lot of appearances of conflict of interest, a lot of things that are, you know, technically legal, but not really ethical, and that would create a, you know, significant, uh, significant amount of bad headlines for Joe Biden if this really became front and center and was debated at length during a presidential campaign. Um, if you're Joe Biden and the Biden campaign, you know, or we think back to, you know, throughout our history of, of presidential campaigns, you're running for president and somebody uncovers something really unsavory about you. Well, what do you do? Well, you can kind of go into the bunker, uh, refuse to do interviews, refuse to um, give a detailed statement, refuse to give out a lot of facts, uh, kind of, you know, wait for the story to go away, which is kind of more or less what Joe Biden's doing. The rarer times he takes questions and he gets asked about it, Biden just snaps and bites the head off the reporter and says, this is not about me. It's about Donald Trump. In other words, we're not seeing a very detailed and comprehensive defense because it sounds like there really isn't that much of a defense. The best defense is that, no, nothing was illegal. It just looks really bad. Uh, I was thinking about, you know, when, when Chris Christie had Bridgegate happen, and, you know, that you know, there are going to be some traffic problems in uh, uh, whatever that small town in New Jersey was. Fort Lee. Look, it was a bad, bad day. That, that, you know, that you're, you're gonna, it, there's no good way to get through all this stuff like that. So what you do is you go out and you hold a press conference, and you answer every question as honestly as you can. Uh, in Christie's case, he, he, you know, you could argue he's throwing his staffers under the bus. He said he didn't know about it. He said he never would have approved this sort of thing. He said they kept him out of the loop. You know, we can argue about whether Christie's claims and, and you know, uh, explanations in that press conference were plausible. But he was there. 
And he answered the questions. And he answered the questions, I believe, for like an hour and a half. I mean, this was a press conference. It was being covered live nationally. And it went on and on and on. And one by one, the news networks cut away because, okay, <laughs> it started getting repetitive. It started, And that's how you handle a big, messy scandal. As you do one day, you take your lumps. You, you know you're going to get bad headlines the next day. You know it's going to, you know, you rip off that Band-Aid as fast as you can. The Joe Biden campaign isn't doing that. They haven't done anything like this. And instead, they made the argument of, you know, stop booking Rudy Giuliani. Well, look, if you really think Rudy Giuliani is that damaging to the Trump effort, you probably want him on air all the time or as often as possible. And this whole argument, there used to be an argument of campaigns would say, well, you can't have you can't run that ad because it's got a falsehood in it. and It's not true. You know, keep cable TV stations. The last thing they want to do is be in the fact checking business, you know. Uh, you know, if not if not WKRP in Cincinnati, then some little you know TV station in Des Moines does not want to get stuck into you know arguing about whether something is libelous or not. The Biden campaign tried to do this, then they tried to say you can't. You tried to say you shouldn't have Giuliani on te- on television at all, and now the argument is that the New York Times has been unfair to Biden, and that it is doing the work of Breitbart in this. And this is you know, well you know they're all saying you know when the when the, when the facts are on your side, argue the facts. When the law is on your side, argue the law. And when neither the facts nor the law are on your side, pound the table a lot. And what we see in this letter to the New York Times is basically the Biden campaign pounding the table a lot. Yeah, this is a story that uh, they have not responded to very well at all. It's been a really clunky campaign. Um, Basically, his name recognition and his affiliation with Obama is keeping him in the top tier. I can't think of a single thing he's actually done since getting in this race that has uh, been deemed impressive on any sort of objective level. Can you? Greg, I've got one word for you. Barack. (laughs) thought you were going to tell me that was malarkey. but uh... Uh, Malarkey! That's a good one. I would have another good one. (laughs) Jim, let's talk about the current president. That's Donald Trump. And uh, yesterday, uh, he was defending his decision to pull back U.S. forces from northern Syria, even as the Turks came in, first with the air campaign, and then it appears the the ground campaign. And uh, one of the things that uh, folks have been paying more and more attention to is, hey, you know, there's still over 10,000 ISIS prisoners uh, over there. Yes, we've pretty much decapitated the caliphate and their leadership, but these people still exist and their home countries aren't taking them back. Surprise, surprise. So as we learned in the New York Times today, the United States is uh, doing the Kurds a solid here by taking back a few dozen of them, of 11,000. So, Jim, that only leaves about uh, 10,900 and change uh, to figure out what's going to happen once this turns into complete chaos. Yeah, and, you know, this is another moment where uh, a lot of, a good portion of the U.S. of the, you know, U.S. national media really hasn't done a bang-up job because we heard, hey, you know, remember ISIS, remember the Islamic State? It's not there anymore. Hey, you know, we, we beat, you know, they, they don't hold any territory. We knew that there were still pockets of resistance here and there and that, but there was an interesting question of at one point, these guys were running a fairly big chunk of both Iraq and Syria. What happened to them all? We know that the Free Syrian Army fought a bunch. We know the Iraqi Army fought a bunch. We were bombing the you-know-what out of them. And it was, you know, for all the criticism we give the president, that was the right call. But there was this interesting question, you know, the, the, okay, the Kurds definitely were on our side and were fighting, you know, in some of the nastiest fighting of the war. But, you know, what happened to all these guys? And you, you might have thought we killed them all. Well, no. <laughs> There are about 11,000 prisoners. Some of them are locals, uh, but a good chunk of them are Europeans, uh, European Muslims who went to join the Islamic State, signed up, fought, and figured out they'd backed the wrong horse. But now there's this question of what do you do with these people? Because 11,000 is a lot. 
I'm glad we took the worst 60, and I know we're going to put them in Gitmo, we're going to put them somewhere else. Um, but that still leaves that minor factor of about 10,000. And yesterday, the president made this unbelievably asinine comment that, well, we're not going to worry about them because they're going to want to return to their own countries, Europe. So I guess we're just cool with ISIS running around Europe now? In my book, that's a bad thing, right? You don't want lots of ISIS people running around in Europe because they tend to try to blow up stuff. They tend to try to kill people. They tend to try to shoot up uh, uh, magazines and all that kind of thing. ISIS aren't good anywhere you know, other than in prison um, or six feet under. What, what, you know, how is the president just kind of shrugging off at this? And the other thought is let's assume you have some, you're, you're an unbelievably ultra-nationalist, you know, America first and everybody else last and all that kind of stuff. What do you think? There's no Americans in Europe? What do you think? We don't have embassies? You think we don't have military bases? You don't think there's any target full of Americans that members of ISIS would want to attack? It was an unbelievably spectacularly ignorant pre- statement by the president yesterday. It's clear he's winging this. He's making this up as he goes along, and he's doing serious damage to American national security and the national security of our allies. So in a, in a presidency, it's been full of really bad moments. I, I know I feel like I say this once a week, but this, this may have been the worst, Greg. Jim, you're totally missing a big point here, though, because as the president reminded us yesterday, you know, we've fought with the Kurds over there. But, you know, where were they 75 years ago? Now, the Kurds are fighting for their land, just so you understand. They're fighting for their land. And as somebody wrote in a very, very powerful article today, they didn't help us in the Second World War. They didn't help us with Normandy, as an example. They mentioned names of different battles. They were there, but they're there to help us with their land. And that's a different thing. In addition to that, we, we, tr- we have spent tremendous amounts of money on helping the Kurds in terms of ammunition, in terms of weapons, in terms of money, in terms of pay. So, Jim, those darn Kurds didn't stick it out on Omaha Beach with us, so screw them. Yeah. By the way, that piece he's talking about, I'm pretty sure that's written by Kurt Schlichter. Kurt and I are friends. Kurt and I have areas we agree, and Kurt and I have areas we disagree. And it's worth noting, Kurt's piece was actually much more nuanced than the president makes it sound there, but he did make the argument that, you know, Kurt had said, that, you know, given a choice, he, he likes the Kurds and he doesn't like the Turks, but the Turks are a NATO ally and the Kurds aren't. I think it's an oversimplification. Kurt and I will probably talk about that some other time. But the argument of, hey, you know, um, they weren't there on Omaha Beach in, in Normandy. Mr. President, let's look at a map. Let's look at where Kurdistan is and let's look at where Normandy Beach in the northern coast of France is. It'd be a bit of a commute. I mean, just getting them to uh, getting them to uh, Normandy would have required them somehow going over or around Nazi Germany, as well as fascist Italy. And oh, by the way, there was, you know, World War II fighting in, in North Africa and Middle East as well. But, you know, it's, it's, it's almost like, you know, boy, where were you guys? I'm dealing with their own stuff in the Middle East. <laughs> You know, but the idea is that, the idea, well, because you weren't there on June 6, 1944, we owe you nothing. Never mind the fact that you were out there fighting against ISIS uh, for the last couple of years. There are many statements from this president where you can tell he's winging it and he's just kind of, you know, half remembering stuff and blurting things out. But um, this was a really, really, really bad one, Greg. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it just goes to the testament of American greatness is that we're willing to go fight for ideals, even if it makes no difference to us in terms of turf. We want to help our friends and and help uh, nations that embody the same ideals, or at least to a large extent, the same ideals that we do. And uh, when it comes to ISIS and when it comes to uh, the craziness that inhabits the Middle East, Finding a perfect partner is going to be pretty darn tough. But uh, I'll tell you, when it came to actually fighting ISIS, uh, other than ourselves, uh, nobody did it as much as uh, the Kurds. So, Sure as heck did more than the Turks. 
Um, and that's who we're, help, you know, de facto helping out with this stance right now. I mean, again, if you the the frustrating thing is, is that as usual, the president could have made this argument or could have made this if he wanted to say, look, we can't remain in northern Syria forever. And thus we need a gradual drawdown and we need the Turks and the Kurds to work out their own agreement. Guys, you've got six months, you've got a year, you've got, you know, I, I'd say the idea. So we're not, you know, shot, surprising them like this, telling them, oh, no, no, we want because part of the thing that, that makes this so brutal right now. The United States told the Kurds to dismantle their defensive positions that they had prepared in case the Turks came across the border. Because we told them they didn't need to do that. Because they told us, we told them as long as we were there, Turkey was not going to attack. And as much as we may argue, oh, we don't have the leverage we used to, and oh, we can't control it. Look, you know, Turkey was not going to attack a region that was full of, that had a decent amount of U.S. troops. For all of Erdogan's nuttiness, he did not want to take on the United States of America's military you know, all by his lonesome. The Turks have a lot of pride, a lot of nationalistic pride. They weren't going to, you know, the fact that it hadn't happened, the fact this only happened once we left, I think should be a very strong indicator that we did have an effective deterrent against that. Now, if somebody asked, were we there to, uh, were our troops there to fight ISIS or were our troops there to help protect the Kurds? Mostly the former, but it doesn't mean we don't have any interest in the latter. And, you know, people want to say, oh, well, this really raises the question of whether the Turks are really our ally. Yeah, some of us have been having this argument for about 15, 16 years now. You, welcome to the party, pal, to quote the wisest philosopher of all time, John McClane. And the recognition that, like, if somebody says, oh, well, the answer to this is an independent Kurdistan, well, you know, maybe that's a discussion worth having. Uh, you know, people say, well, maybe Turkey shouldn't be in NATO. You know what? That is a discussion worth having. If you want to have those discussions, we can do that. But we didn't do any of that stuff. And instead, we just ripped off the Band-Aid. And now, of course, the Turks and Kurds are at war. And people who stood by us when we needed them are dying in significant numbers. So, um, you know, an administration has made a lot of bad decisions. This may be the most long-term costly one for the message it sends to every ally around the world. Way to go, Trump. Way to go. See you tomorrow. Get the rare Nevada treatment. Yes. We save that for rare and appropriate circumstances. We'll see you tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity of National Review. I'm Greg Columbus, Radio America. Don't forget, Jim's also the author of Between Two Scorpions. Also, don't forget that we are brought to you today by the good folks over at Honey. Two clicks, get you all set up, save money online, joinhoney.com slash martini. And tune in again Friday for the next Three Martini Lunch. We'll see you then.